So here's an interesting bit of trivia mm -hmm. that I'm going to be dropping on Film Week in a, in a, about an hour or so. Mm -hmm. uh, is that, the, and I don't know if this is the first time this has ever happened, but it may be the first time that it's ever happened. And if it's ever happened before, it hasn't happened very often. This week, the number one and number two movies are going to be Stars Born and, and Venom. Ah. It's going to be one and two or two and one, whichever, whichever one comes out on top. Right. Ir, 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 regardless, those are going to be the top two films. And uh, both of them have the same cinematographer. Oh. Isn't that who, interesting? Who, who is? Matthew Libatique. Oh, Libatique. Uh, yeah. Well, it works it, a lot. It works a lot. It did, uh, you know, Black Swan, a lot of that. Uh, interesting, both in the same week. And yeah. just, uh, wildly Incredibly different. different. Films. Incredibly you know, different. Both very good, by the way, in terms of cinematography. Yeah. Stars Born in particular. Yeah. Yeah, Star is Born is, is beautiful. I mean, he'll get his Oscar nomination for Star is Born. He's not going to get an Oscar nomination for Venom. It looks like a, uh, it looks like a Bob Rafelson film. Well, yeah, I saw the film does, from the early yeah. 70s is what it looks like. It does. You know, and you know, yeah. he shot those up. Maybe Haskell Wexler. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe uh, Laszlo, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it has. It, it, do, it does have that kind yeah. of a feel to it, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah, very medium. And, and you know, my wife actually uh, worked with him briefly, uh, like, ages ago. When she started her career right out of college, she worked for um, uh, Chanticleer Films, which oh. was a company that made a lot of shorts. It was sort of where writers and other people, other professionals in the business went to make a short to cut their teeth for directing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they, they had a lot of Oscar-nominated shorts coming out of there just every single year. And uh, she was a PA over there, and so was he. <laughs> he was he was just, you know, he was, and he was working his way up to, you know, shoot on some shorts. And, you know, he was just an up-and-coming guy who wanted to be, D, be a DP. And now he's one of the most consistently working DPs in the business. There was a moment... More than more than thirty years ago, yeah. But I almost went there because I was a photographer for a long time, yeah. Uh, uh, and, and 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 I don't know. I, I I just you know, and and it was you know, it was all it was all still film. Of yeah. course, is what, is what we're talking about. And uh, something about something about writing was more was being able to sort of completely construct a story. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, was more of the thing for me. But there's storytelling in cinematography. Yeah. Just as there is in photography. Cindy Lamette was a photographer yeah. and a cinematographer yeah. before he became out yeah. and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know. It just sort of slipped away. And now it's a thing again. It is. You know, there's storytelling in the cinematography again. Well, it, that was Kubrick's gift, right? You mm -hmm. know, you look at, uh, when you look at the, the photographs that Kubrick did for Look magazine, every single one of those is telling a story. Yeah. Within the frame. In the frame. In the frame, there's there's a beginning and a middle and an end, and there are questions asked, and there are possible answers offered. I mean, and, and that's not something you do consciously, no, 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 no. but it's the instinct. Yeah, yeah. It's the and instinct. so when you see a film like 12 Angry Men yeah. in that one room, yeah. and if you turn the sound down it's and true. watch that movie, you'll know exactly what the hell is going on. It's true. Uh, and you can see everyone turn... Uh, I love to watch the lens changes in that mm -hmm. film, the way he moves through those lenses yeah. from the 35 to the 50 to that long. Yeah. And what, oh, geez. Just, anyway, we're doing it again. Sorry. We're doing it. <laughs> there we go. All right. Well, uh, we, uh, you're feeling better. Oh, yes. Good. Yes, totally, totally. Good I was deal. so sick before, but it's okay. And you know what? It happened all of a sudden. I want to blame it on this kid that my uh, young uh, cousin, yeah. uh, Nannies, yeah. and she brings the kid over here. <laughs> and uh, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pin that one on that kid. So, you know, anyway, I'm okay. I made it through. Well, going to hit some, uh, knock some anime off uh, right at the top here. It got a couple of live action anime deals. Now, these tend to be very uneven. 
uh, anime transitioning to live action is not always a, uh, it's not always successful. Uh, sometimes anime just needs to stay anime, and sometimes it turns out being really, really cool. Mm. The uh, the Japanese obviously are better at turning their anime into live action than we are, because for some reason we we take the Asian all out of it. Uh, but uh, we got Garo TV Series Collection 2. This thing is, I, I think I've said this before, this is basically just like high-end uh, Power Rangers, basically what it is. And, uh, you know, you're, you're the, the, the evils here, the horrors, and the... Uh, the heroes are the Makai Knights, and uh, you know the the, the 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 red mask is the the singular villain, right? All this stuff, it's basically Power Rangers. Yeah, that's what it is. So uh, anyway, but, but it, you know, anime, yeah. comics, comic books, yeah, they've been stealing from, from each other. Oh, of for, course. I mean, there are characters who are sure. plainly other. Yeah. Sure. So you know, I, I can't get mad about that. So this is uh, this is two uh, number two volume two episodes fourteen through twenty five uh, from Kraken releasing uh, and it's uh, you know I mean if you you'll if you know it if you like the whole Garo thing you'll you'll totally go vibe to it uh, this thing is absolutely hilarious so uh, Kaiju Mono uh, now. As everyone probably knows now, kaiju is basically means monster, and mm. and uh, the I don't know that this has an anime antecedent. I'm not. I, I looked. I tried to research. I don't know that there is an actual anime called kaiju mono, uh, but it comes from the anime world. This is Sente uh, via section twenty three that is uh, that is releasing this, and um, this is hilarious. The Japanese do have a very bizarre sense of humor when it comes to uh, poking fun at their genre stuff, and uh, this is one of them. What was the what was the thing here? That with um, uh, with uh, where, where where she's controlling the monster like a puppet. What was that thing? It was last year. Oh, uh, uh, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, and, oh my and, gosh, right it, where it popped out of my head. But I know yeah, you, you, she's inside yeah. the thing. Is going to yeah, yeah. It's like so, a, it's like a Gundam sort of. Uh, yeah. So uh, that that was. Well, I don't even know why I'm drawing a blank on that. But that that's that's kind of the. The sensibility that normally finds itself into Japanese. Yeah, it was it was it was it was the one with uh, uh, um, Hathaway and Hathaway, Hathaway, right? Uh, and uh, she realizes that the monster, yeah, the monster is in Korea. It's a Korean monster. Yeah, and she realizes that what she does uh, in that sandbox. If she dances, the monster, she, the, the, monster dances. the monster dances in Korea. If she yeah. stomps on something in the sand, the yeah. monster. It's, yeah. It was a really neat movie, and you know, I don't know. Well, not so like yeah. So anyway, despite uh, the fact that I liked it, I can't think of the name. All right. So uh, bottom line is, there's a giant monster named Mono who is going just bananas in Japan. And just screwing everything up. And there's this uh, doctor uh, who decides uh, or who discovers what he thinks is the solution to stopping the monster. And the solution to stopping the monster is that you take this Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde type formula, right? And you inject this into any person and they then turn into a like giant human being who can then take on the monster. Mm-hmm. So it's right. You like, you, yeah. you, you, right? It's a it's a Goliath kind of a thing. I I want to say it's a little bit like a little bit like Pacific Rim, except instead of putting yourself inside a yeah, giant so thing, that's more you like just a you just tur- sort of thing, you just yeah. turn into the thing. Yeah. So anyway, that's the uh, that, that's the idea. Colossal. In a colossal. Thank you. 
And then it basically, just, then this movie just kind of turns into a Mexican wrestling movie at that point because <laughs> you got the, the the guy and the monster. It's hilarious. I, I tell you, I love it. I love it. It's you know, really funny you know, and that, it's outrageously that silly. I, I could see an American student grab that and do that for sure. Uh, and then uh, got a couple of more here from uh, Sente. Uh, one, well, we got three more from Sente. One is uh, DVD only, not a Blu-ray. Uh, probably uh, appropriately, Pia Carrot Two DX. Cute girls. She's a maid. She's you know big eyes. The whole thing. I mean, this is very much on the uh, the the teen end of uh, of this stuff. Um, she's uh, you know the whole point of this is just looking at Pia Carrot and and. <laughs> You know, it, it, it she works in the, I don't know, forget it. It's just ridiculous. It's not <laughs> Pia Carrot. If the name is appealing to you, forget about it. Um, so uh, here's a better one uh, more uh, schoolyard politics, more uh, teenage shenanigans in uh, Scum's Wish. I know that's not a great title, not, not in English, it's not, but um. It's actually really, really, really well animated. It's beautiful to look at. You could, this one too, you could just turn down the sound and uh, not actually have to even pay attention to the story. It's just, uh, it's just really, really pretty to look at. Deals with kind of a, a teenage love triangle and a girl's insecurity and, uh, you know, they get into a few peculiar choices that I would say are probably inappropriate for teenagers from any culture. But nonetheless, um, it's, uh, it's better than 90210. I'll say that. 12 episodes. Uh, Scum's Wish, and um, really worth looking at. Nagima, the complete collection. Super, super cool animation. Very uh, highly stylized anime in the traditional anime sense. So it looks like traditional anime, but they do some really, really interesting stuff with it in terms of, uh, of colors and shading and lighting. It's really very interesting. Uh, this also is a schoolyard thing. Uh, you know, teaching English... Uh, this ten-year-old who has to, you know, uh, teach English to these a class full of girls, and uh, then you get into all kinds of weird genre stuff like vampires and ninjas and other things that, you know, the, that intrude on this uh, this schoolyard situation. That's always a little bit more interesting when uh, when the the Japanese schoolyard politics get a little inflection of uh, of, of uh, genre. Uh, also on DVD from Made in Japan, not on Blu-ray, is Gun Parade March. Um, uh, I wanted to like this more. It feels a little bit too retro in some respects. It's well done. Um, again, kids from high school, but they are super kids. They're like a, the, the last line of defense. Uh, right after World War II, there's this alien army that invades, and uh, these kids have to, you know, 50 years later, they are they're now this super teenage unit, 5121, and uh, they've got to, you know, fight the aliens. Gets very sort of, uh, again, a little bit Gundam-ish, a little mm. bit uh, um, Pacific Rim-ish. But, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's fine. It scratches the itch. Uh, on to some stuff from Funimation, which has a, has a great line. Oh, you know what? Got, got, one more, uh, got one more sente I had set aside because this one's really, really very interesting. Uh, this is called The Seven Heavenly Virtues, the complete collection. And um, this is one of the more interesting genre things that I've seen in a long time because it borrows, uh, it borrows Christian um, 
mythology. I, don't, mm. I almost hate to call it mythology, but but what it really is, it's it's borrowing Christian iconography and uh, and theological ideas and putting them in an anime context, which mm. is really really very interesting because usually a lot of this stuff, uh, whether it's fantasy, whether it's science fiction, the it's sort of where it's coming from is is from you know obviously yeah. Asian roots. Yeah. And or even near Asian roots. In this case, it's not. It's straight up Lucifer and the angel Gabriel and all of this stuff. Um, all of them folded into a uh, a really cool kind of Joseph Campbell uh, thing. Very R rated. Let's mm. just say it's very R rated. So don't expect that this is like a faith based thing. It's 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 an R rated, very risque, very uh, sexualized look at a mythological construct borrowing Christian iconography. It's funny, because so is the Bible. Uh, for that matter, yeah. yeah. Ain't it? Yeah. David and Bathsheba. Yep, yeah. indeed. All right. On to some Funimation stuff. Uh, great lineup from Funimation uh, uh, this week. Uh, starting with... Uh, these titles just always wipe me out. <laughs> Bungo Stray Dogs. This is season two of Bungo Stray Dogs. Uh, basically, a very uh, mafia kind of story. This is, uh, you know, the Japanese uh, animators taking on a very American concept, which is mafia, and it all takes place, uh, you know, in Japan. But it's um, it's an or- basically an organized crime story. Uh, this is season two, but not it's, like Yakuza or whatever. Eh, not really. It's, it's basically a it's basically an, an American organized crime narrative. Interesting. Um, much more interesting to me is World End. What are you doing at the end of the world? Are you busy? Will you save us? That's the title. <laughs> that whole thing is the title. World End. One word. What are you doing at the end of the world? Question mark. Are you busy? Question mark. Will you save us? Question mark. The complete series. Uh, um, a marketing I, nightmare. It's a total, it's crazy marketing nightmare. So this takes place in a distant future, five centuries from now, where uh, some beasts have uh, destroyed the earth and now everything is all mythical. They're fairies and leprechauns and, and you know, it's all very, again, Joseph Campbelly. And uh, you suddenly now have your, your, your final... Um, human savior character the old joseph campbell savior character stepping up to uh to sort of put humanity back together again anyway it's uh it makes absolutely no sense it's very very hard to keep track of but it's nicely animated and uh on balance you know worth having on in the background if you're not doing anything else these are all blu-ray dvd combo sets by the way all of them from funimation are blu-ray and dvd combo uh the last three here saga of tanya the evil the complete series Tanya is this sweet little girl, little blonde girl, who is absolutely deadly. Why? Because she was reincarnated from a Japanese office worker who was really, really ruthless in the corporate environment. Oh. So you have a cutthroat corporate climber reincarnated as a sweet little blonde girl. And that is the saga of Tanya the Evil. Mm. I, it's it, it it you you may find it funny, you may find it disturbing. Either way, it's incredibly original. Uh, it's inc- you see what I mean? <laughs> it's what so, so original. We also have uh, New Game Season Two, which is uh, we've we've talked about here before. This skew is very very young, but uh, it's uh, it's it's entertaining. It's fun. It's a it's a um, it's all about game development. It's about kids developing games 
and uh, the place where they develop them is called Eagle Jump. And they're, you know, it's 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 all that kind of very young, skewing, goofy uh, Japanese comedy with a with a you know even more juvenile twist than you would expect normally. And it's, uh, I guess it's, I guess it's funny if you can kind of follow the humor. Um, but again, it skews very, very teen, very, very young. And then uh, Aokana, A O K A N A, for rhythm across the blue, Blu-ray DVD combo pack, uh, which is uh, all about. It basically takes the gimmick of anti-gravity footwear and how it revolutionizes um, sports for kids around the world. And now everybody's just flying with their anti-gravity shoes. And, uh, you know, it's it gives there are some fun things you can do in terms of animation. But the the gimmick of that idea runs thin very, very quickly. I got to say, after like 15, 20 minutes, wouldn't it, though? It's not that interesting anymore. It's more just about to see what the animators do. That's it for our anime this week. So All let's right, jump, right, let's right, jump right, into right. some new movies. Do some new movies. Um, so Leave No Trace, <clears throat> a Ben Foster film. More interestingly, this was directed by uh, Deborah Granick, whose first film, first feature film, was Winter's Bone. Yeah. Uh, which was the film. It was She's a great a film. Terrific filmmaker. Terrific, exactly. My point exactly. It yeah. sort of launched uh, Jennifer Lawrence, yeah. I think it was her yeah. name's career. Uh, you know, all that yeah, kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Right in that wonderful little movie, and then poof. Yeah. You know, uh, for a while there. She, and she was working some independent lenses and this, that. They've done some thing. TV. I think she did a little you know? TV as well. Yeah. And, uh, but man, you'd think that uh, yeah, a person makes a film like yeah. that and it, it has an impact like that. You'd think, I don't know, they would hand you the reins to, you know, the you kind of thing that they would hand the reins to a boy. Uh, but, it, you know, it just goes to prove what, what goes on in this town. Nevertheless, she, she, she makes it back to feature films. This neat little movie. Uh, Leave No Trace, which didn't do that well, but nevertheless is a very, very good little film. Um, um, I liked it quite a lot anyhow. Um, So we have Ben Foster, who's this guy who's been living out in the woods with his daughter. I'm trying to think of this little girl's name. Um, Thomas and McKenzie. And they're living out in the woods in Seattle doing one of those off-the-grid kind of things, right? Something goes wacky, and they both get pulled in and put Mm -hmm. into foster care, into social services. He has a little thing going on in his head, and she's a teenager, right? Um, But they want to go back to their lives as before. So this is all about how they get away from the social services Mm -hmm. situation they're in, find their way back to each other, and then uh, try to head back out into the wilderness. It's an interesting little movie, Um, and I I rather enjoyed it. Um, I don't know why it didn't do that well. It was reviewed very nicely. Nevertheless, uh, if you didn't catch it in the theaters, catch it now. It includes uh, deleted scenes, behind-the-scenes vignettes, and uh, the, cre- the creating of the film. And just keep that thing in mind about Deborah Granick. Very interesting. Uh, you know, and Ben Foster, too, is one of those guys I keep thinking, and I thought when he played Lance Armstrong, right, mm-hmm. that that would be the one to push him over. That's a guy who just keeps missing that next level, yeah. right? He I just mean, keeps missing it. But not not because of his prof- hell or high water. No, He no. is the thing in that movie. And the, is, the movie's even successful, he, but somehow... He's a great actor. He's a successful actor. He's a known actor. He's a respected actor. But he's not Ryan Reynolds. But he, that's it. He's not He's not there on that next yeah. level. And yeah. he's been kind of knocking at it for a long time. Like Sam Rockwell was that guy for a yeah. long time. Yeah. Right? Just knocking at it, knocking, and just not... And then Sam Rockwell won an Oscar, and now he's, you know, yeah. there, now, now he's playing George Bush. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, by the way, did you see that trailer? No, I haven't seen it. It's actually very, very funny. Yeah. It's very funny. I, I hope the movie keeps that tone. Christian Bale as Cheney, right? Yeah. And, uh, and, and, uh, to, to be honest with you, that movie, W, the Oliver Stone one? Yeah. That was funny. 
It was funny. You know, and I, and I was so, you know, because people, when you take a yeah. good close look at W, mostly, particularly considering what we're doing now, <laughs> mostly he's funny. And I, was, I just really never had that much of a thing with it. But I'm sorry, this looks yeah. funny to you. It, it does look funny. <laughs> it does look funny. Well, Sam Rockwell, just nail it. I mean, they both nail it. But Bale is buried underneath makeup, right? Yeah. They did the Gary Oldman on him. Yeah. They just gave him a, a Dick Cheney face mask. And, uh, but... Uh, it's, it's, it's quite funny where he looks at Cheney and goes, I want you. I want you to be my vice. It's very funny. Whenever I, I mean, every, see, here's the funny thing about when people do George W. Bush now. I get the impression, as good as they all are, that they're not really doing George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. They're doing Will Ferrell doing, doing George, George W. Bush. Bush yeah, yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's for comedy purposes. That's kind of the one you got to live up to. Uh, that's funny. Uh, death race beyond anarchy, unrated and unhinged. Um, so they, they brought death race back. Uh, not too long ago, and for whatever reason, it's not funny now, and we're it's it's all very Mad Maxy, and I you know, I just it just doesn't work. The original Death Race stuff worked because it was Paul Bartel, and it was comedic, mm. and it was tongue in cheek, and it was the seventies, it was low budget, it was you know right out of the out of the Corman ranks, and it, that was that was fine. I now this is all really just trying to be second tier Mad Max futuristic dystopian car racing you know like metal-minded mayhem and it just doesn't work for me and i i guess it works for somebody because they keep they keep coming out with them um and it's not a bad cast i mean danny glover and danny trejo you know i mean that's you know danny they'll both do anything these days but they're still names and they're still Danny Trejo's selling tacos he ain't really worried about the movie business right he's selling vegetarian tacos yeah yeah he looks great too by the way i gotta admit this is what Hollywood will do to you. <laughs> Hollywood, Hollywood will take a hardcore guy, a hard guy out of prison, give him a movie career, and make him into a vegetarian taco mogul. That's what Hollywood will do. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's just so George weird. Clooney has made more money selling tequila. Yeah, right. Than he ever, ever did or will making movies. And I just, you know, yeah, yeah, gotta love it a little bit, though. Um, uh, The Catcher was a spy, I'll make mention of real quickly. They did not put this out on Blu-ray. This is from Paramount. It's only on DVD, and uh, for sadly good reason. uh, It just didn't do that well. Theatrically, nobody's going to pick this up on Blu-ray. They may watch it on... uh, on you know uh, on- online they might you know rent it off of Amazon or something streaming um it'll go very quickly to Netflix I have a feeling interesting idea this is the story of Mo Berg who was a uh, a catcher a, prof- a pre- professional baseball catcher who in 1944 was recruited to um work as a spy during World War II because he spoke fluent German and uh, you know was able to, and, and willing to do this. And it's a true story. It actually did happen. And this is uh, it, the, his mission was basically to um, it was a mission involving one of the key scientists in the development of the atomic bomb in Germany, and he was he was meant to basically undermine that. And it, it's an interesting story, and the ins and outs and the intrigue of it are are quite fascinating. Near as I could understand and near as I could research, pretty much spot on true with very little dramatic embellishment and uh, alteration of the facts. However, for whatever reason, it just doesn't come together. It, it, it kind of lays there. It misses a lot of its, its beats, the moments when it should be suspenseful, when it should be really kind of turning the screws on you, when you should be feeling mm. this stuff. It just continues to look pretty. 
and the actors never really turn the performances up. It's kind of I don't want to say it's bad filmmaking, but it's it's poorly modulated filmmaking. It's it's because you know Mo was a you know a baseball player, major league baseball player. Yeah. Um, it suggested that he was gay, yet the film, that film, yeah. sort of, you know, walks Doesn't, around that and, yeah. and in fe- instead plays up the sort of torrid uh, sexual yeah. affair that he, that he had with this one particular yeah. person. And, and, you know, and, and I don't know. Yeah, you're right. It just didn't, it didn't, just it sort didn't of lays do it. there. It didn't do it. Yeah. Um, uh, Three Identical Strangers. This is a documentary. This is, uh, this is really quite extraordinary. Yeah. Funny thing is, I can remember when this actually happened in yeah. the 80s. I remember watching these three. So you have these three. Uh, identical twins, yeah. separated at birth. Yeah, uh, early sixties. Triplets, identical triplets, triplets, triplets. Yeah. triplets yeah. Sorry, triplets. Yeah. yeah, three triplets. No, I think this stands uh, a good chance of an Oscar. Oh, but very, too. very possibly yeah. if people remember it. And uh, and 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 in the early eighties, they start to stumble across one another. One stumble across one's another one. And the next thing you know, they're reunited. Beautiful, heartwarming. St- I remember it on the Donahue show, dude. I watched all of this. Yep. All right, then you don't think about it anymore. Yeah. Fast forward thirty years. And that was a nightmare. It was a mess. <laughs> yeah. How they came to be separated in the first place it's is fascinating. Ex- absolutely fascinating. It is fascinating. Um, uh, what it meant to them and how they uh, sort of looked at each other. They, had very, they grew up with very different lives. Anyway, it's a really interesting documentary about all of that. Bonus features include a Q&A uh, with the brothers and the director, Tim Wardell. Good, good stuff. Uh, interesting indie here called Sollers Point. From uh, filmmaker Matt Porterfield, who works exclusively out of Baltimore and makes uh, really interesting indies. You know, Baltimore has been the backdrop for a lot of interesting movies. Barry Levinson, mm. and, you know, obviously a Baltimore filmmaker, made Diner and a lot of his early movies Avalon, in and around and yeah. Avalon, mm, in and around Baltimore. Uh, John Waters, also a Baltimore filmmaker yep. of a very different stripe. Yep. But uh, so Baltimore has a history of, of putting out very independent-minded filmmakers. And um, this is a very simple thing. It's about a guy who's who went to prison. He's come out of prison now. He's only 24 years old. Um, moves back in with dad, played by Jim Belushi. Uh, he's you know he's still uh, he's still on probation, house arrest, whatever you want to call it, and uh, trying to put his life back together in this small community where everybody knows his business, everybody knows why he went to prison, and um, it's uh, and then and there are some romantic entanglements that ensue that are really very interesting and unorthodox. And um, what's interesting about this is it's not a love story. It's not a romance. It's not a thriller. It's not a crime film. It's a drama about a man trying to figure out how to be a part of of a world that really kind of brutalized him at a moment when he didn't deserve it, and when, frankly, he's not even really the the, the, the guilty one. Yeah. So it it it's it's sort of a commentary on the justice system, without being a commentary on the justice system, mm. and it's a commentary on society and how we treat people um, based on those perceptions. Yeah. You know, can you really ever uh, rehabilitate yourself once you've got that mark against you? And that's that's not even a question of the justice system. That's a, a, a part. That's about perception. Mm-hmm. And so those those questions are all really really interesting here. And Jim Belushi is kind of the, the lone name. This is from Oscilloscope. It's out on DVD and Blu-ray. Has deleted scenes and uh, an interview with Matt Porterfield and a trailer. And it's worth watching. Uh, I don't know if it's worth owning, but it's definitely worth watching. Yeah, yeah. Interesting yeah. subject matter. Yeah. Uh, the first Purge, A Nation Reborn. Oh, so this dear. is the prequel to the Purge films. That middle Purge film was pretty good. Didn't care for the Purge. And I, I don't know what the middle one was called. I, have, this I just have problems one. with the whole concept. Uh, it, it, well, well, this Which one tells you where, the, where the, it's very high concept. Yeah. This tells you where it comes from. So basically, this is just the purge uh, on Staten Island. 
Yeah. Uh, a third party comes to, pa- to power and they arrange this whole thing, Staten Island. Nobody has to stay on the island. You can split the island if you want to split it. But if you stay, we'll give you five grand. Uh, and the people and the people who stay do the thing that'll happen in the purge movies. <laughs> so yeah. that's that's so that's what it is. Um, interesting in that um, more interesting than these movies, uh, all three of the movies is is how um, these series of films can sort of catch on, and then the sort of development process that goes into figuring out out how to make another one and then make another one. And, and Bloomhouse, which of course is where the, where the series comes from, they are brilliant at that. Mm. They are simply brilliant at that. I don't particularly like any of the movies, <laughs> but I have to admire the way they figure out. Yeah. And, you know, and they've constructed, is, I mean, it really is a little factory over there. Yeah, there sure is. Yeah. Yeah. A really creepy movie here called Pincushion from a filmmaker named Deborah Haywood, who's got a great future ahead of her. Um, boy, this movie's really, really creepy and really well cast. Uh, this, I want to say, this is almost like. How would I put it? This is like if you were to make a single white female type uh, twisted thriller out of Grey Gardens, mm. and mul- or multiply it times two. I don't know. There's some. There's something in in that weird description that I just gave you. So you got uh, a mother and daughter played by Joanna Scanlon and Lily Newmark, who are both absolutely terrific. Uh, you got. They are. They're trying to kind of. They're very. They're they're a really clingy mother and daughter team Mm -hmm. and uh they're trying to you know they've just moved and trying to get their lives back together and and make a go of it and um now we we introduce new friends new women into the into the mix who may chemically alter the way this mother and this daughter relate to each other and now it becomes this very strange psychological entanglement um it, it it does not go in places you expect it to go. It really takes some strange twists, and um, and it's really kind of it's cool and bizarre. And I guess almost like a like if David Lynch were a were a woman, he might make a movie like this. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Jennifer anyway, Lynch, Pincushion, uh, Boxing Helena. Uh, and then also a swingers weekend. Um, not so fond of this. I I get what they were going for. Uh, you know, it's it's. Uh, but in the in the aftermath, so many decades after Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, this simply is not that interesting or that daring anymore. Uh, the whole idea of swapping, you know, just it does not make for great filmmaking or great compelling stories anymore. It's kind of. It feels very dated. It feels very forced. Um, but anyway, that's the idea here is, you know, you've got a, you've got a couple who've been married for 15 years and uh, they invite their friends to uh, kind of go out for this swapping vacation. And, you know, there it is. Um, doesn't really do anything interesting. Mia Kirshner is the most interesting name here. I don't know what had happened to her. She had just gone completely off the off the grid, uh, and she's fine. The rest of the cast relatively unknown. It's not terrible. It just isn't as interesting as it thinks it is. Mm. Eighth Grade was a film that everybody was talking about a little bit yeah. earlier in the year. It's yeah. a really wonderful little movie written and directed by Bo Burnham, uh, the stand up comedian. Yeah, uh, who's a, you know a fairly funny guy, young guy, uh, and has made a really uh, written and directed a really uh, touching. Uh, and moving and insightful uh, first film, a debut film, particularly so because it's about a little girl. Yep. A little girl, uh, last week of her eighth grade year, really terrible year in the eighth grade. Uh, and she's an introverted little girl, except for when she's on YouTube doing these little advice videos that she does, uh, where she produces a completely sort of different uh, personality. 
Uh, it's very interesting and it's very astute about the way uh, young people, kids in particular, communicate uh, today. Instagram plays a big role in the film and IMing and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's, just a, it's just a very thoughtful and, um, oh, I don't know. I think this is just going to be an iconic and classic film of the age. I think that years and years and years from now when people are wondering, well, I wonder what it was like for an eighth grader. Uh, in, in, in the uh, in the early 20, uh, 21st century or whatever, they're yeah. going to look at this movie yeah. uh, and see. In the way that that movie Kids 20 years ago when we were Bo's age, yep. uh, uh, you remember that, that Larry Yo, Clark film? Yeah, yeah that, there were Kids. A, a whole series of those films yeah. uh, that sort of L-I-E, Bully. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this, I think, uh, is reflective of this generation in the way that those were of that generation, perhaps. It probably, but you know, there's a lot in this movie that I really recognize and relate to as well. Even though it's now, and even though it's an eighth girl. I mean, and even though so much of this is her YouTube thing, mm -hmm. right? Her self-esteem is is channeled and, and forged through her little YouTube, her weird, awkward YouTube videos, where you think, you know, really, you're just gonna put yourself out there like that because yeah. that's gonna live forever, sweetheart. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, not a thing we had to think about. Not when a thing we, were. we had to think about. Yeah. But uh, it it uh, notwithstanding all of that stuff that I shouldn't necessarily have to relate to. The politics and the pain of eighth grade, yeah. I think, doesn't know age, doesn't know gender, yeah. doesn't know – all the rest of that stuff is just they're, – they're, it's just window dressing. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So it's, it, Bo Burnham did a really good good job with this. Yeah, special really features, uh, audio commentary with the writer-director Bo Burnham and that young actor, Alicia Fisher. Deleted oh, that, scenes, that, that, that stuff. Dad, so. That dad trying Josh, so hard. Yeah, Josh Hamilton. Yeah, trying so hard to just be the right dad and having no clue how to. How to it's just mm. so painful. Uh, so a very, very good director uh, is Jean-Stéphane Samard. And he, uh, he did, you may know that he did Johnny Mad Dog. And uh, he now has a new film called A Prayer Before Dawn, starring Joe Cole. Which is would have been a Jean Claude Van Damme movie twenty years ago. Uh, this is about a, um, uh, a an English boxer who is imprisoned in Thailand, mm. and the 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 whole, basically they allow him um, to to go into Muay Thai fighting tournaments, basically. Um, and uh, he turns out to be pretty darn good at it, even though he's trained as a boxer. Muay Thai really. Isn't uh, isn't that far from what he what he's accustomed to doing? So anyway, it um, it it then becomes kind of like a blood sport movie, you know. It's it's what Jean Claude Van Damme did in Blood Sport, except here it's not about winning a tournament; it's about trying to win your freedom. And it's uh, the the fights are grueling, very impressively shot. Joe Cole is terrific, and uh, they shot this in an actual Thai prison with uh, inmates as extras. I don't know what the rules are in Thailand. You couldn't do that here. But nonetheless, uh, a, a prayer before dawn and allegedly based on a true story. But so was blood, uh, blood sport. And, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. that took liberties left and right. Yeah. So anyway, check it out. <laughs> don't worry, you won't get four. This is the interesting story of uh, cartoonist John uh, Callahan, um, who has a young very man, controversial, very controversial, yeah. uh, who has a young man uh, who was involved in a car accident that left him paralyzed, became something of a sort of alcoholic. Yeah, uh, sort of drugged to therapy by his girlfriend, played by Rune, one of the Maras. I can't yeah. remember Rooney. which one. Rooney Mara yeah. in this movie, uh, and uh, and uh, and uh, you know Jonah Hill plays his sponsor, and and slowly oh, learns. Jonah Hill is so he's good so in funny this. in this movie. He's so uh, good, uh, and doing playing opposite of what he actually playing the guy he used to play before yeah. he started playing assholes. Yeah. 
uh, in, yeah. the, in all the movies in which he played assholes. Yep. Before that, when he yep. was a kid, he used to play these sort of, you know, funny. Yeah. You know, sort of, anyway, um, and, he, and he realized that he has this talent for drawing these sort of edgy and irreverent yeah. cartoons, etc. It's a very good movie. I rather enjoyed it. It is a little controversial. It, it is. Uh, quite, quite an inter- it, it, not quite as interesting as I wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gus Van Sant. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, you're Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix playing the part. Gus mm-hmm. Van Sant directed it. Uh, you know, that Gus Van Sant never really uh, delivers what I expect him to deliver. So when, I, when he's going to give me a film that I think is going to be good, it winds up being junk. And when he gives me a film that I think is going to be junk, it winds up being good. And I can never <laughs> quite figure him out. I don't, and, you think about a film like, like Elephant, good or junk? See, I, would, I was going to expect Elephant to be junk, and it turned out to be really interesting. I, I, I thought so, too, being that it's not really about the Columbine thing, but kind of is, but isn't, yeah. but kind of is. Yeah. And the way he saw the falls, I it was just so, so powerful. Um, the one with the cowgirls, all, even cowgirls yeah. get the blues? Yeah, yeah no, no. no. Yeah. See? Uh, yeah. So you never can quite figure that out. But uh, this one, I, I don't think it's going to be around at awards time. It doesn't quite have the, uh, the oomph yeah. uh, that people are expecting. But um, I do like that it forces you to – it doesn't take sides on his, his cartoons. Mm-hmm. He says, look, either you're going to be really offended or you're going to find them really funny – here, make yeah. up your own mind, which is sort of what 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 I Tonya did, mm-hmm. I Tonya did, mm-hmm. and and I I appreciate that. It respects me as an audience yeah. member. So. Yeah, yeah, you can figure it out. I uh, got a couple of four Ks here. Uh, the first one is Sicario: Day of the Soldado, where they uh, we the the story of Sicario continues, yeah, and we yeah. we bring back Benicio del Toro and Josh yeah. Brolin, but we don't bring back uh, anybody else. Yeah, because they knew better. Yeah, they they well they 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 wrote uh, what's her name out of this thing because I guess she had to go play Mary Poppins. But um, you know, this didn't need a sequel. No, <laughs> it really didn't. I don't understand. Particularly so contrived and silly as it, that one it, gets. It really is. It's on. Look, it's on 4K. It's gorgeous to look at. It's violent, and uh, Josh Brolin just really chews the scenery and. Uh, Benicio del Toro just he was just so cool. Oh man. yeah, he's, he's so he's, cool. Yeah, he just, takes it all the way down. And I don't get it, dude. You, I mean, you, uh, you you got the revenge in the other movie. What the hell are you doing? I don't know. And the funny thing is, just last night I watched the um, uh, the uh, uh, for Film Week. Uh, the, which one? The uh, uh, Penelope Cruz and Javier Bardem in the 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 oh. the. the, the Drug cartel king guy, uh, Pablo Escobar. Oh, the Escobar film. Yeah, yeah, the the Pablo Escobar thing, which has its own problems. But I, let me put it this way: I'm drugged out, man. I'm done with the cartels. Yeah, I'm, it's like there are seven shows on TV dealing yeah. with drug cartels, and and it's all you know, Colombia and this, and Pablo Escobar that. And, yeah, and a and lot Mexican. of them are set in that period in the middle and the early '80s, and all like, and, and they're all just referencing Scarface anyway. That's and, and, and 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 just leave me alone, man. Just, These guys are all dead. El Chapo's in a prison someplace. Uh, Who yeah. cares? It just isn't working for me. But anyway, uh, if you're into it, if you felt like you needed another Sicario film, knock yourself out. There's a few extras on here. Uh, otherwise, it's really just all about you know watching a lot of guns go mm-hmm. off in, in HDR. Uh, the, the skyscraper with Dwayne Johnson. You know, let me... Mm, I get that too. You okay. Know. Come, on, come on, man. Let's go. Gorgeous 4K. I'll just say it right there. Gorgeous 4K. Really tremendous. Good looking. Put it on. Show off your TV. Friends will be really, really amazed. But Ross and Marshall Thurber is a guy who started his career basically making comedies. And he's trying to go all action now. And he wrote this. Here's the thing. This is a ridiculous movie. This is like Die Hard crossed with The Towering Inferno. 
cr- <laughs> w- with 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 a guy who's only got one leg. Yeah. Now that's what's ridiculous about this. I appreciate there's a there's a prologue to this where Dwayne Johnson, yeah, right? Yeah. He's like you know an FBI agent and he he makes a mistake. No, and he loses his leg. Years later, he's now a security expert with his prosthetic leg, trying to put his family back together again. Only now he's he's in Hong Kong and uh, he's you know the new security guy in what's the highest, most technologically advanced skyscraper ever created. Yeah. And uh, of course, when the terrorists go nuts and all hell breaks loose, his family is trapped. Uh, between you know floors that are on fire and exploding. And if, you, and if, and if you're wondering if you've seen that before, it's because he did it in the movie before this movie. <laughs> yeah. Literally the same thing. Big sky trade. He's got it. It's just I and, mean, seriously. But but it, what 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 what's both cool and ridiculous about this is how the prosthetic leg comes in handy. Yeah. Which is you know he just pulls that sucker off and he's stopping doors with it and he's <laughs> it's now a tool and he's hopping around on one leg when he needs to and putting it back and kicking butt with the it's just I don't know it's like it's just trying too hard to be uber action film <gasps> and I love oh. Dwayne Johnson I really yeah. do but man even even him scripts. there was a moment in the not well maybe the beginning of his movie career yeah when Dwayne would occasionally. Being just a good movie yeah. or a funny movie. Oh, like uh, what was it? The sequel to Get Shorty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic you know, it, or something like that. And 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 uh, and, it was, and, it was, and it was good. Yeah. He, you know, he just didn't run around knocking people down. Yeah. Uh, anyway, The Witch Files. Uh, neat little movie. If you like witchcraft stories, it's one of those movies about these girls in the Salt of All private school. And uh, one of them seems to have uh, powers, and uh, they go out to the woods, and they and they gather they gather in a spot where all of these witches had been, you know, um, uh, back in the Salem witchcraft, and they and they and they're able to muster up all the power of these witches. Now they can do whatever they want to do, and they start doing whatever they want to do, and they quickly realize that that doesn't turn out all that well. Um, you know, I don't know. It's it's kind of fun. I'm a guy who watched Charmed. Yep. In the uh, what 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 would that have been the uh, middle '90s or something like yep. that? And yep. They're rebooting that show, by the way. I know. And I got to think this movie has something to do with that. Nevertheless, uh, cute chicks uh, throwing uh, thunderbolts out of their fists. Commentary with the writer director Kyle Rankin. Not terrible. Yep. And her stolen past, which is a, a good little thriller, a good little indie thriller, um, about a woman who finds the birth certificate of a kidnapped baby. Uh, in the house where her mom used to live, where her mom her mom has passed away, and uh, that creates all kinds of questions. Obviously, is like this kid was kidnapped. How's the birth certificate in my in my mom's place? What what did uh, who who did what? Uh, what's going on here? So we get a little Hitchcock in action where she kind of goes rogue to figure out what went on, and she hires this detective. And uh, they discover things that shock and horrify them, and boom, there it goes. The what's interesting is this is um, this is actually based on a Harlequin novel. Ah, but it's like a Harlequin suspense novel, which I didn't oh, even know existed. Yeah, yeah, romance usually. Yeah, it's usually you know like all those guys with the chests and the women with the with the, the, the lingerie. Fabio and, yeah, Fabio, all that yeah. Fabio stuff. Uh, but no, this actually goes into some really, really interesting areas. Um, and uh, what I love is it is directed by a woman, Penelope uh, Butenhuis, I believe is how you pronounce her name, or Butenhuis. Anyway, really, really, really uh, very interesting. And I always love to see a thriller directed by a woman. 
So anyway, the novel was written by Lynette Eason. So it is a, it is a a novel by a woman, a movie directed by a woman, but it's a and starring a woman. But it is a it's kind of a hard driving thriller, and mm. uh, it's got a good edge to it. Mm. Um, all styles. This is a little sort of urban. By urban, I mean mostly black, but not completely uh, dance movie. I'm a sucker for urban dance movies. Sure, I just love them. Yeah. Uh, for that matter, I'm a sucker for uh, not urban dance movies. Any I, dance I, movie. I, I, any dance movie. The country one, <laughs> yeah. uh, Footloose. The first one with Kevin Bacon, not <laughs> no, that other one. No. That's the one I'm talking about. So I always really kind of love these. This one is about a kid uh, who goes off to college right before there's a big dance competition. There are all these little dance crews, and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't participate in the, in the competition with his buddy, uh, and he goes off to college uh, instead. And they, you know, they, they kind of hate him for that. And um, he comes back. He puts together another ragtag crew, and they're going to go up against the other one. So it's, all, it's one of those kind of things, not particularly interesting at all. What does this have to offer? This has to offer all of the amazing dancing, the music and the amazing dance. If you do nothing uh, when you're watching this movie but just go to the dance scenes, you'll have a perfectly fabulous time. It doesn't make any difference what the hell is going on in the movie. It is directed by Angela Tucker. I happen to know Angela Tucker. Angela Tucker um, did this wonderful little documentary series called Black Folks Don't. Uh, and then fill in the blank, uh, and it's just this wonderful doc series, which is, uh, has nothing to do with this movie. And so, if, you know, if you, whether you see this movie or not, go find "Black Folks Don't" from Angela Tucker. This, though, fun for the dancing and just about nothing else. Uh, on Blu-ray, "Star Chase Chaser: The Legend of Orin." I remember watching this anime. This is animation. Uh, in the middle, in the middle '80s, there was a version of this that came out. You know, for like regular 2D animation yep. with Michael Winslow and all doing all the voice and all that kind of stuff. So watching this now, this very complicated, sort of densely woven animation is quite. It's a completely different thing. It's kind of fun uh, story. It's about a kid um, who, are in, who live in this sort of subterranean mind world. Uh, where humans are forced to do all this stuff of like, you know, uh, mining and all this kind of stuff. The kid finds his sword, kind of an Excalibur kind of thing. Pulls the sword, has magic powers. He uses yeah. the sword to fight his way out. Uh, joins up with a couple of ragtag guys, and they go off on these adventures and stuff, a thief. And it, so it's one of those sort of Joseph Campbell and sort of stories that's stealing a little bit uh, from King Arthur and stealing a little bit from Christian lore, and see, well, like we were talking about before, and sticking it all together. Um, I used to love those early mid-80s cartoons, um, He-Man. Yeah. Uh, and you would look at all of that stuff, and, and, and if at the time, I don't, think, I, I don't think I was paying any attention to it, but you could pick out the Egyptian mythology, the this mythology, you could. and they would just stick it it's all true. in. Even if you just looked at the outfits, and you, now it's like, <laughs> and that's one of these kind of things. Anyway, this is kind of fun. Uh, Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin. Bloodfest on Blu-ray. It's Blu-ray DVD combo set. Look, here's the thing. Don't confuse this with Horror Fest. No. I don't know why. Well, you know what? Go ahead. Confuse them. Because basically <laughs> the same movie. Um, so <laughs> Horror Fest. This came out a few weeks ago. It's already on Blu-ray. Mm. Horror Fest comes out at the end of the month to capitalize on Halloween. Mm. Basically the same movie. A uh, bunch of kids go to what they think is going to be like, yay, we like horror movies. We're going to go to this this cool carnival thing that's like uh, where, where it's like a it's like Comic-Con for people who love horror movies. And they're like, oh, no, yeah. Yeah, they're really killing people. No. So Horror Fest, there's a real serial killer who's gone into the festival, which is like you go to Comic-Con and there's some one person who's killing everybody. Mm. Blood Fest would be like going to Comic-Con and everybody's Every. killing everybody. That's the only difference. It's like the uh, first purge only it's in a kind of, yeah. convention. Bloodfest is very well done. It's about a kid who um, 
there's a backstory thing happened to his mom and yada 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 and his dad is a psychiatrist and sort of psychologist and all this stuff that you know doesn't want him watching horror films but he loves horror films and so he goes with his pals to, to Bloodfest. It's going to be totally cool. And then they realize that all the little recreations of all the different horror movies that they're doing, it's all real. And people are really dying. How do we get out? It, it, it's, it's silly and stupid. And the way that it all wraps out is completely absurd. Makes no sense. Um, but here's the thing. And it's written and directed by Owen Edgerton, if, or Egerton, if, if, if that means anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. I don't really know his work. But... Um, as well done as it is, as stupid as it is, this is a new genre that has only emerged kind of in the wake of Scream, which is a genre that is not spoofing horror films, traditional horror films, but it is satirizing them. It is paying homage to them at the same time that it is kind of ribbing them. And that's only a phenomenon since Scream. Mm-hmm. Um, there had been horror film spoofs before that, but this is not like Airplane. This is this is meant to sort of say we celebrate this, but at the same time we're still going to scratch the same itch. Yeah. Of all those films, and there have been a number of them just in the past few years, there's only one that works for me because it it, it actually is incredibly clever, and that's The Final Girls. Still oh, go and mm-hmm. see The Final Girls. So well written. So well made, totally shafted at the box office. Got like a one-week release. Um, Bloodfest, you know, you'll either love it or hate it. I didn't care for it. Uh, I think we're a little TV over here. Is that okay? Yeah, we're t- TV? it's TV time. Let's do it. Uh, CB Strike the Series. This is, a, this is three episodes of a fairly intriguing British television series uh, in, in, in terms of the content. But what I like most about it is the, it's the really classic setup. What you got here is a detective. Uh, hard-boiled kind of guy, yeah. Raymond Chandler character. You know, you can you, anybody you want, uh, uh, and and his uh, assistant, not exactly secretary, but assistant, uh, young woman uh, uh, who's hot on his heels and eager uh, uh, to cut her teeth, uh, uh, doing what he does. He's this veteran guy, and I really, really like that dynamic and their dynamic uh, in this in this in this little series. Uh, there are three of them on this disc. The the cuckling the cuckoo's calling the silkworm and a career of evil um, uh, and some bonus featurettes as well. It, it's a really 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 sharp sort of uh, London grimy gritty television series. You'd think that this thing was made in the seventies or something like that. Yeah, and I think that uh, J.K. Rowling, uh, uh, no, uh, uh, the, Her- the Harry Potter. That's yeah, her name, J.K. Right? Rowling. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she contributed to some of the content in this. Oh, nice. Which you know, good stuff because you know she's trying to break off the nice. whole other thing. Do it. Do it, redefine herself. Sure. Good stuff. Yeah, life's not over. At, there, there's life after Harry Potter. Nine one one. The complete season one. How did it take this long for somebody to pitch a TV series called Nine One One? The series. I mean, I just want to shoot myself. I what? Why didn't that occur to me ten, twenty years ago when they first established nine one one? You walk in, you go to an executive, and you just go one one line nine one one the series that sells. How does that not sell right then and there? Uh, Angela Bassett, Peter Krause, Connie Britton star in this uh, this Fox series, which is now coming back for a second season, mm-hmm. and uh, it you know what? It's good. It's really good. A lot of it has to do with Angela Bassett, who just brings the gravitas. But it's um, what it's basically like all of those Chicago shows packed together. Chicago's got the one about the police, the one about the mm-hmm. doctors, the one about the fire. fire. Yeah. Uh, it, right. And well, this is about all of them. This is just about fir- uh, first responders and working together, and just it never stops. The best analogy I could say is it's a little bit trying to do what emergency 
did oh, yeah, in the seventies. Yeah, 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 right? yeah. The guys on the um, on the uh, in the red yeah. emergency vehicle driving yeah. around, but they always interact with the cops, and they'd That's, always go and, to the hospital. And I think did that ever have a crossover with Adam Twelve? Oh, it absolutely did. See, yeah. So this is all the above, but it's much more intense, and uh, it's really good. And again, it's it's all because Angela Bassett just she just turns it up, and everybody else follows her lead, and it's really really good. Uh, three discs, and uh, it's about ten episodes. Really worth checking out, and uh, I want to see where this series series goes. Uh, Sando is an Australian series about this woman, boisterous big woman, uh, who built this furniture empire, gigantic furniture empire, um, and, and and she's loved by all except for all of the people in her family. She does this completely wacky thing at the the, the wedding of her daughter uh, some years ago, and the family just cuts her off and shuts her. Anyway, she's trying to make her way back into the family. As she makes her way back into the family, she realizes the family is. Probably not. <laughs> one is probably probably better off. Yeah. Anyway, it's a very very funny show. Um, uh, 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 bonus material includes cast interviews and blah 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 and all that kind of stuff. I, you know these Aussies. The, uh, the reason why I like these Aussie series, yeah, the language, yeah, uh, the, the stuff that they say uh, that strikes me as funny, even when I actually don't know what it means. You know, there's a reason why I went into my uh, my iPhone mm-hmm. and the the Siri voice. And I changed it to Australian female. Aye. It's like has, it's like having Tony Collette or Rachel Griffiths <laughs> in my pocket all the time. Uh, it's great. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Woke yeah. me up this morning. Woke me up this morning. Young Nicole Kidman, when she would still speak in her natural yeah. Australian voice yeah. every night, she never does anymore. I know. I you wish never, she would. Even if you see her on television or whatever, Kate Blanchett does. Though. Yeah, Kate. Kate. Kate will go there. Yeah. Kate will turn it on. Uh, Freaky Friday, another Freaky Friday, oh, Disney's Freaky Friday. Us. Look, you know Freaky Friday, and it's perfectly appropriate that they make another television series out of it over at Disney. Yeah. Why the hell not? Go ahead and do it. Anyway, bonus <laughs> features on this uh, include a blooper reel and uh, auditions of the, of the little league girls who play her. I remember um, uh, Lindsay Lohan, yep, who, who you know did the did the, um, the Freaky Friday movie. And she was a little bitty girl, and I did the junket for that, Jamie Lee Curtis. And I remember Lindsay Lohan sitting on Jamie Lee Curtis's lap. This gave me the most wonderful little interview, and then, you know, the rest of it happened. So, yeah. anyway, Freaky Friday from Disney. Check it out. The weirdest day ever. So, if you're a fan of the people of Hope Valley and all their wonderful homespun, folksy, frontiersy shenanigans and gettings and going-ons, then you will love When Calls the Heart. The year five, six movie collection. This thing just does not stop. I guess it's. I guess this is the anchor for Hallmark now. Mm. Hallmark Channel has just made tons of money from this. It's uh, produced by Michael Anna Jr. from the books by uh, Jeanette Oakey. All very Landony and folksy and homey and and kind of you know borderline faith based ish. Um, with a just a sweet cast. It includes Jack Wagner and Lori Laughlin, who are just as just fresh-faced as anybody on television ever has been. Uh, And, you know, this one, this actually comes with a book, When God Calls the Heart, Devotions from Hope Valley, uh, which is is written by Brian Bird and Michelle Cox, but Oki did a foreword to it. So this little booklet really, really turns the screws up on on this thing. So, uh, you know, this is like a, a really serious package, but here's the deal. To get this, you gotta go to Walmart. It's a Walmart exclusive. So When Calls the Heart, six-movie collection from year five with the uh, the book, Devotions from Hope Valley. Uh, you can only get this at Walmart. So, uh, you know, knock yourselves out if you love this show. I just find these things. They're not mm. insufferable, but they're all the same. Yeah. It's very tedious to me. 
Uh, let's see, from, the his from history, uh, the old history channel, two-disc collection here, Ancient Aliens, season 11. You know who's kicking himself? Who? You know who's kicking himself? Eric Von Daniken is yeah. kicking himself because uh, when he made Chariots of the Gods, everybody, when he wrote it and then did the movie, everybody said, you're a crackpot, man. <laughs> That's ridiculous. You're, you're seeing the spaceman in, like, <laughs> old Mayan <laughs> carvings. What's wrong with you? you stop it. And he was, a, he was a wacko. If he had hung around until now, he could be a trillionaire, a trillionaire with this yeah. stuff. With this kind of, dude, season 11. Isn't that amazing? Ancient 11 aliens. seasons of this stuff. It, it, it drives me crazy because here's, here's, here's the tagline. Science and mythology <laughs> and how they're the same thing. No, no they're, they're not. not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Okay, anyway, volume, volume one, yeah. uh, season 11. Um, the Carol Burnett Show 50th Anniversary Special. Love oh, it. wow, oh, wow, oh, wow. This is just so Vicki Lawrence, Lyle Wagner, Jim. Oh, uh, man, it's just so, it's just, uh, this show, this show was something that I actually sat with bated breath for. Every this was week. One, this was one of those shows where, I can't remember what used to come on before the Carol Burnett I Show. I don't either. But whatever it was, I didn't like it. <laughs> and, 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 but I would turn it on anyway so that I would not miss one moment of the Carol Burnett Show. And I also want to point out to people, young Carol Burnett, sexy. Yep. I'm sorry, yeah. sexy. Great legs, funny as hell, and uh, put the lie to the notion that there, uh, w women can't be funny uh, 40 years ago. Also uh, appearing in this, um, uh, Bernadette Peters, Meyer, Rudolph Martin Short, so many, so many people. The 50th anniversary uh, Carol Burnett show celebration uh, with all kinds of great stuff on it. Check it out. So here's the thing that's interesting to me is that when Power Rangers, when the Power Rangers came in the early 1990s, mm -hmm. The the Super Sente series that it was based on, right? It's like basically they went and found the Super Sente series in Japan. They re-edited it and turned it into Power Rangers here. Mm -hmm. So which has happened to a lot of anime, a lot of live-action Japanese stuff. It mm -hmm. always turns into something else over here. Um, there had already been 15 different Super Sente series in Japan. This is old hat. Mm -hmm. Okay, this was something people were like, wow, look at this cool stuff. In Japan, they're like, yeah, we've done it 15, <laughs> we, yeah, 15 we really times. Are. So anyway, uh, we got another one of them being released from, uh, from Shop Factory. They went and found another Super Sente original series. If you want to check it out, it is Chojin Sente Jetman, the complete series, which is, you know, it's like all the rest of them. It's, it's, uh, the, you know, they, the, these people go up into, into space and they're called the Sky Force and they get, you know, hit with birdonic waves and it turns them into superheroes. And next thing you know, it's a lot of weird costumes and martial arts and it's the usual deal. These things are all the same. Anyway, it's fun to see where this stuff originated. I don't know what makes Chojin Sente Jetman different from any other Sente, but they they all you know it's, I don't know what makes a Dino mm. Power Ranger versus a robot Power Ranger versus any other Power Ranger mm. different. The suits are different. That's yeah. all I know. Yeah, I I only ever identified them by you know the pink, the blue, the green. <laughs> the, the pink Ranger was my thing. What can I say? Uh, she was fantastic. Uh, Love Boat. Uh, uh, season four, volume yes. two. Finally. 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 Is it the finally? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know when? The previous volume of this came out? No. Ten years ago. Seriously? Yes. What's the problem there? I don't know. Love Boat comes on one of those televisions. I, I know. Uh, so, so this is season four. Love Boat. 1977 is when Love Boat uh, premiered, believe yeah. it or not. I loved this show. This was another one. And, and the era of that kind of show went away. Probably went away 30 years ago now that I think about it. But it was a wonderful, wonderful show with those sort of reoccurring characters. And, and, and you would have actors come through the Love Boat playing different characters than they played the previous week. Yep. So one, and then of course you always had Charo come on the love boat just playing Charo. Yeah, uh, and, and it was just it was just wonderful. I thoroughly loved it. So here's 
Here, I'm going to tell you. So, Love Boat Season 1 came out in 2008. Love Boat Season 2 came out in 2009. Love Boat Season 3 came out in 2017. Oh, for Christ. That, that's, a, that's the problem. Yeah. So, yeah. So, three, 3 came out not too long ago, but uh, now we're into... 9 uh, to 17. Now, now we're into Season 4 coming out this year. It's like, you know what? Uh, seriously, people. It should not take a decade it's the to love release boat four seasons. Sake. It's the Love Boat. D- this is what you do. The Love Boat... I, I know this is going to be tough. Paramount and CBS, listen to me. I'm going to give you some advice. <laughs> Wade, Wade has a brainstorm. <laughs> it's called Love Boat. Yeah. A complete series. Duh. Just do it. Yeah. Just put the whole damn thing out in Make one set. Make them look pretty. Put them all out. This one has the episodic promos on every episode. And I got to tell you, that's not nothing. Because the no. episode promos for those shows, were Love great. Boat, Fantasy Island, all that kind of stuff, were fantastic. Anyway, The Love Boat. Uh, season four, volume two. Got a couple of complete series here. We've got Fraggle Rock complete series, thirty fifth uh, anniversary collector's oh edition. My God, that goes which, back thirty five years. Uh, isn't that crazy? Thirty fifth anniversary collector's edition. Thirty five years ago, Fraggle Rock. Uh, this comes with a collectible scrapbook. This is the first time it has ever been on Blu-ray, okay? So if you have a complete series of Fraggle Rock from before, get rid of it, uh, upgrade. You're going to love it on Blu-ray. It looks great. They did a fabulous job remastering it, 96 episodes in total. Is it as fun as The Muppets? It's different. It's very you know? different. Yeah. It's very different. It's its own thing. And, uh, you yeah, know, it's, you, it's I mean, Henson. You were the Fraggle Rock or you weren't, but I was yeah. the Fraggle Rock guy. I liked Fraggle Rock. Yeah. It did. Th- it, it was it was a it was a, a really, really fun thing. It's not Sesame Street. It's not The Muppets. It's its own thing, and it's its own thing in a really cool way. And I enjoyed it. I love the sing-alongs. Uh, I, I just think this is terrific. It's a lot of fun, and Blu-ray is fabulous. It includes interviews with cast and crew, featurettes, all the promos, and it includes... This is the coo- the key bonus, <laughs> the animated Fraggle Rock. Oh, really? All of it in one yeah, set. Yeah. Ooh, I that's, hit the mic. Yeah. We haven't done that well, in years. It's a very exciting thing. Uh, the animated Fraggle Rock. I forgot about yeah. that, to be honest with you. And then uh, also, uh, Saved by the Bell, the complete collection. Oh. You, can, you, can, you can throw this away. Uh, oh. This is a terrible show. Um, it really is. It's just an absolutely terrible but show. But it spit out. It spit out all of these young yeah. actors who are... Right now, yeah, roaming around your television sets. Very true. You know, uh, four very embarrassing seasons plus the college years and the movies and a lot of bonus material that really doesn't matter. Uh, I did have a thing for Tiffany uh, Amber Thiessen. You know, I love. I, let me put it this way: I really like everybody in this thing. But it's a dumb show. But it's a dumb yeah. show. The writing is so embarrassing. Well, who was the one that was in that uh, Paul Paul uh, Verhoeven movie? Uh, oh uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the blonde yeah. with the curly yeah. hair. She exactly. came out of that show. Yes, she did. She yeah. sure did. Uh, and, and it ruined her career. Yeah, well, one of them did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. not, I'm not actually sure yeah. which. Anyway, so uh, Saved by the Bell, Complete Collection. I mean, look, uh, it, get it if you just – if oh. you're not humiliated just by the title, then this is your kind of show. Uh, Me, I can't even look at the a, a, a still from this without just breaking out in hives. Uh, Mario Lopez. The Beverly Hillbillies, the official fifth season. Which suggested there's some uh, other kind of... Anyway, <laughs> all 30 episodes digitally remastered on four discs. That's enough of it. You're right there. That's all you need yep. to know. The Beverly Hillbillies officially remastered, digitally remastered. Good enough just for that. Um, not a lot of special features on this. As a matter of fact, no special features on it. That is a little bit disappointing, although I don't know what they would have put on there. Uh, in any case, the Beverly Hillbillies, the official fifth season, 30 episodes digitally remastered. 
All right, folks, that is it for this week, uh, and we will uh, we'll be back next week with more fun and shenanigans, until, and maybe, maybe a giveaway or so. Yeah. We might have a giveaway, so uh, I'll see what I can line up. All right, folks, we'll see you next week.